Good evening. Russia and the United States face off at the United Nations over Ukraine. Prime Minister Boris Johnson fights for his job in the face of a damning report about parties at 10 Downing. And Mayor Eric Adams announced a new coordinated plan to deal with climate change in New York City. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, January 31st, 2022. In a meeting of the United States, uh, pardon me, in the meeting of the United Nations Security Council called by the United States over the objection of Russia, U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield reiterated U.S. allegations Russia is amassing a military force of 100,000 soldiers she called the largest mobilization in Europe in decades, the target, Ukraine. Colleagues, the situation we're facing in Europe is urgent and dangerous, and the stakes for Ukraine and for every UN member state could not be higher. Russia's actions strike at the very heart of the UN Charter. This is as clear and consequential a threat to peace and security as anyone can imagine. The United States has been clear. If this is truly about Russia's security concerns in Europe, we're offering them an opportunity to address these concerns at the negotiating table. If Russia further invades Ukraine, none of us will be able to say we didn't see it coming. And the consequences will be horrific. The U.S. ambassador added there has been a spike in cyber attacks and what she called Russian disinformation. She said to paint Ukraine and Western countries as the aggressors to fabricate a pretext for attack. The Russian ambassador, Vasily Nebenzia, countered, accusing the West of whipping up tensions over Ukraine and saying the U.S. had brought pure Nazis to power in Kiev. The discussions about a threat of war is provocative in and of itself. You are almost calling for this. You want it to happen. You're waiting for it to happen as if you want to make your words become a reality. This is despite the fact that we are constantly rejecting these allegations. And this is despite the fact that no threat of a planned invasion into Ukraine from the lips of any Russian politician or public figure over all of this period has been made. No such threat has been made. Everybody who claims the opposite is misleading you. If our Western colleagues who provoked and supported the 2014 bloody anti-constitutional coup bringing to power in Kiev nationalist radicals, Russophobes and pure fascists, uh, Nazis rather, they are making heroes out of those people who fought on the side of Hitler, who destroyed Jews, Poles, Ukrainians and Russians. The harsh exchanges in the Security Council came as Moscow lost an attempt to block the meeting, reflecting the gulf between the two nuclear powers. It was the first open session where both sides of the Ukraine crisis spoke publicly, although the U.N.'s most powerful body took no action. Russia denies its planning to attack, but demands pledges Ukraine will never join NATO, stop the deployment of NATO weapons near Russian borders, and roll back the alliance's forces from Eastern Europe. The vote on holding an open meeting passed 10 to 2 with Russia and China opposed and India, Gabon and Kenya abstaining. Nine yes votes were needed for the meeting to go ahead.
China's ambassador, Zhang Jun, asked the West to provide evidence for their claims. Some countries, led by the United States, have claimed that there will soon be a war in Ukraine. Russia has repeatedly stated that it has no plans to launch any military action. And Ukraine has made it clear that it does not need a war. Under such circumstances, what is the basis for the country's concern to insist that there may be a war? We note that the United States, Ukraine and the relevant European countries, as well as NATO, are having varying forms of diplomatic contacts with Russia. The parties concerned should persist in seeking to resolve their differences through dialogues and negotiations. June said he voted against the public meeting because what is urgently needed now is quiet diplomacy, not megaphone diplomacy. President Joe Biden said in a statement that the meeting was a critical step in rallying the world to speak out in one voice to reject the use of force and seek military de-escalation. The meeting comes as Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, tried to play down war fears while claiming a Russian incursion was possible. In February, Zelensky says Russia's moves may be to exert psychological pressure and sow panic. Meanwhile, General Mark Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, says Russia gave up claims to Ukraine with the fall of the Soviet Union in 1994. Uh, Ukraine has the right to be independent, and they have been an independent country since 1991. Russia signed the Budapest Memorandum in 1994 with the United States and Great Britain that guaranteed the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine. It's the policy of the United States government to continue to support an independent Ukraine and their goals. And we are continuing our effort to enhance their ability to protect themselves. We strongly encourage Russia to stand down and to pursue a resolution through diplomacy. Armed force should always be the last resort. Success here is through dialogue. General Mark Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Moscow, on the other hand, claims the United States made promises at the time to never extend NATO to Russia's borders. And Prime Minister Boris Johnson, known as Bojo, apologized today after an inquiry found that Downing Street parties, while Britain was in lockdown, represented a serious failure to observe the standards expected of government or to heed the sacrifices made by millions of people during the pandemic. But during Parliament questioning today, he brushed off calls to quit over the Partygate scandal. But firstly, I want to say sorry. And I'm sorry for the things we simply didn't get right, and also sorry for the way that this matter has been handled. And it's no use saying that this or that was within the rules, and it's no use saying that people were working hard. This pandemic was hard for everyone. But, Mr Speaker, it isn't enough to say sorry. I, of course, accept Sue Gray's general findings in full. And above all, her recommendation that we must learn from these events and act now. She finds that there is significant learning to be drawn from these events, which must be addressed immediately across government. This does not need to wait for the police investigations to be concluded. 
Mr. Speaker, I get it and I will fix it. And I want to say. And that's Bojo, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of England of the United Kingdom and Great Britain. A senior civil servant, Sue Gray, published a summary of findings on several gatherings in 2020 and 2021 held while the United Kingdom was under government-imposed restrictions to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Gray found that failures of leadership and judgment allowed events to occur that should not have been allowed to take place. The summary also says there was excessive alcohol consumption at the Prime Minister's offices, known as 10 Downing Street. Opposition Labour Party leader Keir Starmer said the British public had made sacrifices and the Prime Minister had treated the people with contempt. There can be no doubt that the Prime Minister himself is now subject to criminal investigation. The Prime Minister must keep his promise to publish Sue Gray's report in full when it is available. But it is already clear that the report discloses the most damning conclusion possible. Over the last two years, the British public have been asked to make the most heart-wrenching sacrifices. A collective trauma, endured by all, enjoyed by none. Funerals have been missed, dying relatives unvisited. Every family has been marked by what we've been through. And revelations about the Prime's behaviour have forced us all to rethink and relive those darkest moments. Many have been overcome by rage, by grief and even guilt. Guilt that because they stuck to the law, they did not see their parents one last time. Guilt that because they didn't bend the rules, their children went months without seeing friends. Guilt that because they did as they were asked, they didn't go and visit lonely relatives. But people shouldn't feel guilty. They should feel pride in themselves and their country because by abiding by those rules, they've saved the lives of people they will probably never meet. But that will be forever tainted by the behaviour of this Conservative Prime Minister. Johnson's fate rests on how conservative lawmakers respond to his apology. Some previously said they would push for a no-confidence vote if Gray found Johnson was a serious fault or had misled Parliament with his previous insistence that no rules have been broken. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. A federal judge rejected a plea agreement today that would have averted a hate crimes trial for the white men convicted of murder for fatally shooting Ahmed Arbery whose parents angrily objected to the deal as unfair and unjust. The decision by United States District Court Judge Lisa Godby-Wood came just hours after prosecutors gave notice that son and father Travis and Greg McMichael had agreed to plead guilty to hate crime charges and they chased that they chased, threatened, and killed 25-year-old Arbery because he was black. But Travis McMichael's sentencing hearing today turned emotional and contentious as federal prosecutors urged the judge to approve the deal even after Arbery's parents pleaded passionately for her to deny it. Travis McMichael would have received 30 years in federal prison to be served alongside the penalty of life in prison without parole imposed by a state court judge for the murder conviction. By pleading guilty, he would have given up the chance to appeal his federal sentence. And closer to home, Mayor Eric Adams announced key appointments to his climate leadership team today focusing on environmental protection and environmental justice across the city. The mayor said newly created 
The newly created Mayor's Office of Climate and Environmental Justice will consolidate the work of multiple city agencies. And today we're announcing our Chief Climate Officer and Department of Environmental Protection uh, Commissioner, uh, Rick. Uh, He comes with a lot of experience. Mr. Agarwal comes with a deep understanding of environment uh, conditions, and it's about bringing environmental protection back into the agencies. It should have... Uh, it should has, have never been removed from the agency in the first place, and now we're bringing it back. We know the challenges that are facing us as we cycle off of fossil fuel and move in another direction. But there's also a challenge that people uh, ignore. Uh, we ignore as we built out uh, our economy and built out new jobs, we are leaving too many New Yorkers behind. As we bring new jobs and use the infrastructure dollars that are building out our infrastructure, we must do it and employ young people to fill the jobs that we are preparing. That's number one. Number two, something that's dear to me, uh, it is often uh, ignored the role that food plays in the destruction of our uh, environment. No one wants to talk about that. The overconsumption of, of meat and dairy, uh, how that impacts the environment um, from uh, waste and from what comes from animal products. Uh, we are going to dig into this area as well. We are leaving no stone unturned to address the issues that the environmental challenges we we have. And as mayor earlier today, the director of policy for We Act for Environmental Justice is Sonal Jessel, who joins WBAI to discuss the mayor's new plan. His announcement today was something we had all been waiting for um, on the edge of our seats to hear um, exactly how he wanted to structure the climate work for the city. So it was a really big deal to hear that today. And um, we're really excited that on some of these appointments, we're excited that the um, that there is an Office of Climate and Environmental Justice. We believe that, you know, it's been many decades of hard work to get environmental justice as front and center in the fight for environmental health and addressing climate change now. It's so important that that's a central focus, and so we really appreciated that that was highlighted in his work and his remarks today and highlighted in um his intention by establishing this new coordinated office that's focused on environmental justice, particularly by appointing an executive director of it that has a track record for environmental justice, um, uh, who's, who, you know, she, she started at WEACT, actually, our organization, but, you know, she's been fighting for environmental justice for a very long time. Like, that's Kizzy Charles Goodswan, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we were really excited about that because we think that shows um, you know, that the city has people that are going to be fighting for people of color and low income in the city when it comes to all the big changes we need to make for climate change and environmental health. So we were we were happy to hear that. The city has been trying to <laughs> trying to do good resiliency work for a long time. I think what the city needs and that we are excited to hopefully see is a lot more of like a bigger coordinated effort. Um, you know, all the neighborhoods in New York City have very um, unique needs when it comes to climate resiliency, and that needs to be like very heavily thought through. Um, and we're, you know, we're happy that that's something that that at least is on the docket is this 
comprehensive resiliency planning, but specifically with an eye towards let's make sure that each neighborhood is getting what they need and that their specific hazards when it comes to climate change are getting addressed. How about veganism? Mm -hmm. Veganism and school food. That's the first time I've heard that mentioned in terms of climate change. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't really work on the food policy side, um, but we are in general, you know, our members do find that local healthy food is really important and affordable healthy food is important. So as much as we can bring that to school children, we're happy about it. Do you think that's a serious thing or just something that reflects an interest of his? Um, I guess we'll have to see. Sonal Jessel is director of policy for We Act for Environmental Justice. Adams brought up that uh, aspect of climate policy that doesn't get much attention. The mayor is a vegan. He eats no meat or dairy. And he says if we ate less meat, it would significantly reduce the human footprint on the environment. That is often not mentioned. No one wants to talk about it. Uh, We have to do a better job in the food that we serve. And we have to move away from our fixation on the products that are also destroying our environment. That is often not talked about. We talk about fossil fuel. Uh, We talk about that we need electric vehicles. No one is talking about the plate. The plate is not only destroying Mother Nature, it is destroying our mothers and our children as well. So I want both of them uh, dealt with, and I'm sure they, they have a host of other projects, let the experts do their j- jobs, but I'm going to let them know two issues that are crucial for me. And the mayor also promised to look at changing school food menus to reflect those healthier choices. In one voice, we talk about fighting childhood obesity, diabetes, uh, yet you go into a school building every day and you see the food that feeds our health care crisis. Now, I'm not going to become nanny mayor, but we do need to have our children have options. And the children have been calling me and saying they want better food in school. And I'm going to do the best I can to give them the options of a more healthier diet so we can stop feeding the crisis. And we're going to look at the the school food, allow the children to taste it, come up with good products, and we're going to put better selections in our food. Product placement goes a long way. Uh, Looking at uh, the food that we're serving our children, it is causing the health care crisis in our country. And that was the mayor. the executive director of, office of the newly formed Office of Climate and Environmental Justice is Kizzy Charles Guzman. Previously, she worked in the mayor's Office of Sustainability and Climate Resiliency in the Department of Health and as a policy advisor in the Bloomberg administration. She said social justice is going to be a key aspect of the new climate policy. Today, for the first time, we're going to bring the policy wonks and the folks that keep the lights on, the folks that keep the water running, the operating agencies that keep us safe. We're going to bring them together so that they can not only keep us safe, they can help us thrive. Our neighborhoods should be thriving, right, not just staying And climate is everyone's job because of the times that we're living in and ensuring that we have healthy populations that can then deal with the climate impacts is everyone's job. When they wake up in the morning, what am I doing today to further this, to make sure that no one is left behind and that someone's health impact is is not the reason why they died during that heat wave or during that storm? And that's Kizzy Charles Guzman, who's the uh, 
will serve as executive director of the Office of Climate and Environmental Justice. And in upstate New York, gubernatorial candidate Jumani Williams joined local business owners, Finger Lakes residents and advocates to urge Governor Kathy Hochul to place a moratorium on what they call climate killing Bitcoin mining. New York State now hosts nearly 20 percent of the country's rapidly growing crypto mining industry. They say to the detriment of small businesses, pandemic depressed local economies, the environment and the climate. The event comes days after six federal lawmakers, including Senator Elizabeth Warren, demanded details from the largest Bitcoin miners about their contributions to climate change and impact on local power prices. It can really destroy places like Seneca Lake, the farms and the wineries, all because of a dollar. And all because somebody wants to make all of the dollars. You know, we don't want to prevent people uh, from making money, but at the expense of something that's not renewable, doesn't really make any sense, especially when we can do something else. You can mine this, you can do this in a way that is less damaging to our environment. So I'm here to say what I would do if I was governor, but even more important, the governor that's there right now can get together with the state legislature and say we are going to deny uh, this permit uh, that shouldn't have been given to, to begin with. What we see is big conglomerates come in and throw their money around, as you mentioned. This is a beautiful place. New York State is a beautiful place. We need to we need to lead when it comes to climate change. So I'm here to hopefully provide some courage to our current governor to do the right thing. And that is Jumani Williams, who's uh, also candidate for governor of the state of New York. Local activists say the Bitcoin mining industry is extremely energy intensive and will make it impossible for New York State to meet zero emission goals. And finally, former Governor Andrew Cuomo will not face any criminal charges stemming from an allegation he inappropriately touched a National Grid employee during a trip to Oswego County in May 2017. Oswego County District Attorney Gregory Oaks today confirmed no charges will be filed against Cuomo, who resigned last August following a report detailing allegations of inappropriate behavior and sexual harassment by 11 women leveled against him. The development was first reported by the New York Post this morning. Oaks's office has been investigating allegations by Virginia Limiatis, a 55-year-old National Grid worker who had accused Cuomo of touching her chest during an event in the area. And that's some of the news for Monday, January 31st, 2022. The news was produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.